Good morning, church. Y'all hear me well? He is risen. He is risen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We serve a resurrected Savior. That's why we uh, gather together um, uh, to worship. It's because our Lord has saved us and he's coming back for us. And we look forward to that day. Are we good? Something's about to blow. Might be good. Um, such, such a blessing to be able to worship with you all today, and thank you all for you all's uh, continued prayer for us, and also for you all's support um, in many ways. Uh, this worship team that led today, who sings so beautifully, have come down at the last minute on multiple occasions uh, to help at Mercy of Christ Fellowship Church in our worship, and when we uh, didn't have a few folk, and so we're so thankful for you all's support, and it's a joy to be able to worship with you all uh, today. Um, today we're going to look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, we're going to think about uh, contentment. Think about contentment. Um, Ambition is good. It is good for us uh, to be ambitious, to, uh, to have drive, to want to see the gifts that God has given us stewarded well for his glory, uh, for the advancement of the gospel, for the good of society, um, for our own personal well-being. It's good to have ambition. It's good to have drive. Uh, I do have a question though. When, do, when will you know uh, when your drive is in overdrive? When you're speeding too fast, going off course, and headed to crash? Um, when has your drive or the goal that you're trying to achieve? Uh, become idolatrous? Uh, when does that drive become perverted, uh, twisted? Um, when are the good things in your life, the good things that you might have, when has that become so good that it has now um, taken over your right priorities of having Jesus Christ first? How would you know that happened? Um, do you have any satisfaction in your singleness? Or are you angry about that? Do you have any godly satisfaction in your marriage or are you always contemplating if I only had a different spouse, my life would be so much better? Do you have any contentment with your job and your finances? Whenever your needs are unmet, does that throw your whole world off? If you don't see yourself reaching this goal, if you never obtain the goal that you're trying to achieve, do you feel like 
you have been let down and that your life has no meaning anymore. So those are all some possible symptoms or indicators that we have gone into overdrive and that we need to learn contentment. Ambition is good, drive is good, goals is good, but also we need to have contentment. And so today we are going to look at God's word and see what he has to say about contentment. Now, if you, if you, if you struggle with contentment, like I do, take a deep breath. It's all right. Because Paul, at one point, struggled with discontentment. In Philippians chapter 4, towards the end, Paul talks about contentment and how he has found that he has contentment in Christ Jesus. But if you look at chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, you don't have to turn to it, but just listen. Um, He says that he has learned in whatever situation to be content. He has learned how to be brought low, and he's learned how to abound, and he's learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. So if you are still struggling with this contentment, God will give you grace to learn it. This is the process of growth. And God puts us all in the school of growth. If you want to grow in your theology, you don't have to go to seminary. Become a Christian and you're now enrolled in the school of theology. And God is going to teach you his word through experience and through the scriptures what it is to be a godly person. And he's going to teach you how to grow in contentment. So I want us to learn contentment the same way that Paul learned contentment. And we see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 and 10. Follow along as I read. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Verse 4. And he heard things that cannot be told, which may not utter, which man may not utter. Verse 5. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own, behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Verse 6, though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Verse 7, so to keep me from boasting, I'm sorry, verse 7, so to keep me from becoming conceited, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, 
a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. One of Paul's motivations for writing the book of 2 Corinthians was for him to defend his apostleship. Some false teachers were trying to undermine and question his uh, spiritual credibility, his authority, uh, and what he was teaching. They were trying to um, undermine his teaching by pointing out all of his weaknesses or what they perceived to be weaknesses. His weak message, which was the gospel. His weak stature. His weak speaking ability. And they were pointing out all of these weaknesses as a way to get people to stop listening to Paul and to turn to them. And now in previous chapters, Paul is like, I, I, could, I could boast in my accomplishments and strength. Paul could have boasted in his spiritual authority. He could have boasted that he was a Hebrew, that he was an Israelite, that he had knowledge. Paul could have boasted in all of his strong accomplishments, all the churches he planted and and in verses 1 and 3, Paul is saying, verses 1 and 3 of chapter 12, Paul is saying that he could have boasted in special revelations. He talks in the third person, saying there was a man, and um, he went to, up to the third heaven and things like that. But I think many scholars would say, and I would agree, that Paul is really talking about himself. And this is a way, again, for him to talk about how he had such revelations. However, he's not going to boast in them. So, so yeah, that, that man, I, I had revelations, but that's not what we're going to talk about right now. Because that's not what's most important. And, and so Paul goes on to talk about not the great revelations that he had, but he goes on to talk about his weaknesses. And how he said he would rather boast in his weaknesses. They were trying to use his weaknesses to knock, to be a knock on his ministry. But Paul twisted and he says, no, actually, his weaknesses further confirms his ministry. Because it's in his weakness that Christ is exalted. So this weaknesses that's referring to is... It's, it's hardships and trials and persecutions and things like that. Let me start out with just saying weaknesses is not, are not sins. It's not a, acts of wickedness. Paul would never boast in sin. We don't boast in sin. We rejoice in the truth. We rejoice in righteousness. Paul wants to put to death sin. Right. He wants us to put sin away from us. So, so, so he would never, and the Lord Jesus Christ would never want us to boast in sin. The weaknesses that he's talking about are shortcomings and trials and hardships and persecutions and, 
and things of that nature. And he said he's learned how to be content in weakness. So what is God's school of learning? How does God teach us? Well, one of his school of learning is he gives us intentional trials. He gives us intentional trials. Verse 7, he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Thorns hurt, whether it's a little thorn or a big thorn. Thorns hurt. They bring pain. And, and this thorn can, can be a psychological pain. It could be, a, a thorn could be psychological. A thorn can be internal. A thorn could be some type of disappointment. And Paul says that a thorn was given him in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass him. Satan is real. And satanic warfare is real. Satan does not want the gospel to be spread. Satan does not want God's people to grow and to mature in the faith. Satan hates when the Lord gets glory. Satan didn't take it easy on Jesus. Satan didn't take it easy on Paul. And nobody is off limits from Satan's attack. And so a messenger of Satan was given to harass Paul, and it was like a thorn in Paul's side. Now, this particular specific thorn, Paul does not identify. It could have been an internal psychological harassment. It could have been a physical harassment, such as some type of physical ailment. But whatever the case, whatever the thorn was, it wasn't easy. And it felt unbearable. And it was intentional. The same way that demons had had to report to God before they harassed Job, demons must report to God before they can do anything to God's people. And this messenger of Satan, this thorn in the flesh, this trial was intentional. It was given to Paul And it was given to Paul by God. How do we know God gave it to him? Well, because one, we see that the purpose, the purpose of the thorn was so that Paul wouldn't be conceited. The devil would love for Paul to be conceited. He would love for Paul to get the big head and to think that he could live in his own strength. The devil knows that pride comes before fall. So the devil wouldn't want anything to happen to you that would keep you from being conceited. But we also know that it's given to him from God because It's for God's glory. God saves a humble people. Psalm 
chapter 18, verse 27. God saves a humble people, but the prideful and conceited he brings down. Psalm chapter 25, verse 9. God leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. So in knowing this and in loving Paul, the Lord gave him a thorn to keep him from being conceited. So if you're going to grow in knowing how to be content in weaknesses, you have to know that in God's divinity school, he gives you intentional thorns to keep you. That's why you are saying the song, whatever God ordains is right. So we, I know our, dis, our discontent feeds on if onlys. If only I had more money. If only I had a different job. If only I had a different spouse. If only I had chosen this college or this major. If only I had lived in this neighborhood. If only I was healthier. Family, you don't know what sins the Lord is keeping you from or kept you from by keeping that thing from you. You hear me? You don't know what sins the Lord is keeping you from by keeping that thing that you want from you. say, if only I had more money, I would be happier. And the Lord said, if you had more money, son, you would be more greedier. You said, if I, if I had just one more kid or any kid, I would be fulfilled. He said, if you had kids, you would be idolizing your family. If I had a church building, if I had a bigger church building, we could do stuff. And he said, yeah, if you got a, had a bigger church building, you might be more comfortable and you may not want to plant more churches. You don't know what the Lord is keeping you from. If my spouse was healthier, then I would be able to do more. Man, I wish my spouse wasn't going through this mental illness or this depression. God said, you, you, you needed to learn how to love. You needed to learn how to be gracious. The thorns in our lives are intentional. They're good. They don't feel good. But they're for our good. To grow us. So we, so we must learn. And trust God with the thorns that he gives us and the trials he gives us. Number two, in God's school, we must learn to pray. Trials are difficult. And since our, since our Lord does care for us, he also says that we can pray. And in prayer, there are some times that he might remove the thorn. God does do that, praise the Lord. And there are some times that he won't. But we should still be a praying people. And that's what we see in Paul. Verse 8, 
Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Here we have Paul praying. Paul pleaded with the Lord about this. He cried out in agony. He asked. He sought. He knocked like the Luke 18. He kept praying about the matter over and over again. He prayed and he he almost lost heart. He kept praying, though. And some people say you shouldn't pray more than once because that shows a lack of faith. Well, then they're more holier than Paul. And they're more holier than Jesus. Jesus prayed in the Gethsemane multiple times that the cup would pass him. And Paul here prayed multiple times that this harassment would stop, that the thorn would leave. And, and what we see here, family, that it's okay to pray and it's okay to keep praying. Our good father loves for us to come to him. He loves for us to pray. He loves for us to ask him of things. We don't have to pray with big words or with fancy language. We just plead to the Lord in Jesus' name from the heart. And sometimes when the distress is so difficult, all you can do is plead over and over and over again. And that's good. It, to plead over and over again is not a lack of faith. It's a faithful demonstration that you know where your only hope is. It's a faithful demonstration that you know where to go. It's, it's, it's a, it reveals something about what you know about God's character, that he's gracious, that he answers. And so, therefore, you're going to wait on him, and you're going to keep praying to him. So we keep praying. Like Paul did. And we keep pleading. And sometimes when we don't know what to pray, it's important to, we can pray God's word, to open up God's word and pray his word back to him. Sometimes when we're in hard situations and we don't know what to say or we can't even get a word out because the, the problem is so difficult, you get others to pray for you. And you pray with them. So I, I, was, I, was, I was about to say something about this 15-minute prayer time. Like, 15 minutes? How much pleading can you do in 15 minutes? But you got to pass because y'all just had a four-day fast. But I praise the Lord for y'all's contentment. I mean, y'all's commitment to praying. 15 minutes. I see that you all are praying uh, twice a week from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., I think it is. For they continue to pray and plead to the Lord for whatever is on your heart, for his will to be done, for the kingdom to be advanced, for a difficulty to be removed. Pray for it because God is gracious. And, and what prayer leads to, leads to God being glorified, Heartfelt, biblical, spirit-led prayer leads to change. We know prayer does change things. But also, prayer changes us. And so notice it was after Paul prayed, after Paul pleaded with the Lord, 
that the Lord answered his prayer. He didn't give him what he wanted at this time, but he answered his prayer. And look what the answer is in verse 9. And this is the third thing in God's school of contentment. We need to be a prayerful people, and we also pe- people of the word. So verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is the word. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, before I get to the content of what the Lord said, remember it comes after his prayer. And notice what he receives. He doesn't receive the thorn being removed. He receives a word from God. God speaks to Paul. God speaks to his people. He gave Paul a new mindset. He gave Paul a message that would sink deep into Paul's heart and deep into Paul's mind. He renewed Paul's mind frame and Paul's thinking. Paul at one point wasn't thinking that God's grace would be sufficient in this time. Paul, all Paul wanted was, I need the thorn removed. I need the thorn removed. But it was after prayer and communing with Jesus and communing with the Lord that, that he now has this word come alive in his heart. My grace is sufficient for you. We ought to be people of the word. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How can a young man keep his way pure? By hiding his word in your heart. Now, Paul was given a a privilege of being an apostle, and so he had a special, 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 a, a revelation given to him where God probably spoke directly to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you. But, but listen, you have enough word in this word for you. This word has all, has all that you need to know that his grace is sufficient for you. Isaiah 41.10, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 40, 31, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him. He he helps me. My heart leaps for joy. I praise him. Everything that you need to hear from God to give you strength during your most difficult time is in the Bible. Read it. Abide in it. Come to church to listen to it. Paul knew all the Old Testament. Probably by heart. Paul knew the teachings of the gospel. But understand, at this moment, Paul needed the Lord to make a particular 
truth come alive in him. Paul knew all the things I just told you was in the Old Testament. Paul knew the Psalms. He knew Isaiah, the scriptures. But yet, he still needed God to send a particular word to him in season to help him in that season. And every time you come to church to hear God's word, he has a word for you. And you should come. You say, I know this already. Paul knew that already too. But Paul needed the, it to come alive in his soul. And every time you read the Bible in your quiet time, every time you come to church to hear the word preached, God wants to make another word that you may already know come alive in your soul. To renew your strength. To give you fresh hope to give you fresh confidence in him. So don't neglect your quiet times. Don't neglect discipleship with one another around the, wor the word. Don't neglect coming to church and listening to the word being preached and sung and prayed because you never know when God is going to use that word to build you up and give you strength. And a lot of times what we need is not the trial to be removed, we need a word from the Lord. And his word was, my grace is sufficient for you. It's good to be in God's good graces. You know, when you're in somebody's grace, they have favor upon you. They want to bless you. And, and when you're in Christ Jesus, you, are, you have a particular special grace his 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 eye is upon you his heart is towards you so i have um several little ones um and sometimes i'll take them on a trip with daybreak children um and and we'll go skating and yes i i, I make sure all the, the daybreak children are taken care of but you best believe that if Somebody, if one of my kids fall and I'm holding one of them daybreak kids, I ain't being mean, but I'll gently set them down <laughs> and I'll go to my kids and make sure they're okay. Because they're my children and I have a special eye towards them. And God has adopted us into his family through faith in Jesus Christ. And you're his children. He cares for you. I hope you believe that. Your father in heaven cares for you. And it's because of, all because of grace. So another thing, my children, they wake up in the morning and they come to the table and there's food for them. And they go to the cupboard and there's more food for them. And they probably, and all they have to do is eat the food. And they think, they think that the cupboard magically gets filled every day. That the table magically has food. And we have to tell our kids, no, no, yeah, you're eating and you're receiving the food, but somebody had to pay for it. You receive it, you eat it, but somebody worked for this food. Somebody paid for this food. 
And that's how it works with salvation. You get to receive the benefits of heaven. You get to receive God's wonderful care for you. From, from the point you trust in him all the way through eternity. But it didn't come free. Jesus paid for that. Your cupboard is filled and you have riches beyond what you even can imagine or think. But just because it didn't cost you don't mean it didn't cost anything. It cost Jesus Christ. Yes, we have a couple of thorns here and there, but the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the eternal son of God, came into the world, put on human flesh, and suffered an ignoble, horrific death where they put thorns on his head, where they spit in his face, where they hung him on the cross and crucified him like he was a criminal and a lawbreaker. And they killed the author of life. They killed the Lord of glory. Why did that happen? For you. You and I deserve to be treated like criminals. You and I have broken God's law many times and deserve eternal punishment. But Jesus Christ on the cross paid for that to be pardoned. He paid for your forgiveness by his life, by his death, by him taking the wrath for you. And he rose from the grave. And he's exalted and sitting, seated in glory. For you. So that all you need to do. Is repent of your sin. And receive. Repent of your sin. And trust. In Jesus Christ. Trust. In his life, death, burial, and resurrection. For you. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left the crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. He made the payment. Trust in him for that. And, and when you trust, that's grace. He did the work. You get the gift. Receive it by faith. Receive the gracious gift of the gospel by trusting in Jesus Christ. And now, if he would do that for you through his death and resurrection, what will he not do to keep you until the end? If he saved you by grace, he's going to keep you by grace. His grace is sufficient for you in every situation of your life. That's why Paul was able to say that therefore he's able to boast in his weaknesses. So in verse 9 again, he said, but he said, 
to me. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul learned it now. Now Paul got it. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You go to the gym. You work out. You go into that, the barbell or the bench, and you, you put 225 on each end. You, I, I put, I said 225 just to make myself look good, but I don't... Well, well, I put 225, and I try and lift it, and it come down, and I can't get it back up. And I'm looking, I'm trying, I'm, I'm lifting, I'm trying to get it back up, and I, it just won't go. So I, I thought I had it. I thought I had it. I put it on, and I, I got down here, and I felt like, oh, actually, I don't have it. And I'm looking around in the gym, and I don't know if you ever had this happen to me, and you don't want to cry out for help, but you're just hoping somebody sees you. Somebody much stronger than you, they come, they look at you, you're a little like, try, so you don't be too embarrassed, and they just easily take one of those things away. At that point, I look weak. But the person who came and lifted it up looks very strong. And that's what the Lord wants. You look weak. It's okay. Because he wants to come and go like this and lift it up so that he could be exalted. So that his strength could be perfected. So that his strength could be put on display. And this is the beautiful thing. His strength gets put on display and you get taken care of. In the midst of your weakness. Because guess what, family? If you're, in, if you're in Christ Jesus, all the trials, all the persecution, all the weaknesses will one day end. <laughs> Our Lord Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to bring us to himself. And every single weakness, every single flaw, every single imperfection will be made right. And you will get to be with your Lord and Savior, the one who has been carrying you the whole time through every single weakness. <coughs> You're going to see him face to face. And you're going to praise him for his marvelous grace. Y'all look forward to Jesus? Glory in your weaknesses so that Christ could be exalted. And in due time, family. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, we, we say if... Uh, 
I had more money, if I had more this, if I had more that, and you're saying, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Trust me. I showed it on the cross in Jesus Christ. Showed you in the life of Paul and many others that my grace is sufficient, Lord Father. We hear your word, now help us to believe it. Help us to believe that your grace is sufficient to carry us through these very difficult days. Help us to lean not in our own, our own understanding, but to trust you. And Father, we trust you with the thorn. Uh, we trust you with your word. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity we have to pray. And Father, we thank you for your grace, the grace that saves us and the grace that will keep us. Uh, we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would write this word on our hearts, fix our gaze on Jesus, not on our weaknesses. Fix our gaze on Jesus, not our trials. Fix our gaze on Jesus. And Lord Jesus, come soon, we pray. In Jesus' name.